0: The granting of marriage equality was hugely important for gay people, not merely for its practical consequences, but for the symbolism involved. Gay and straight were finally equal. But has the euphoria around the referendum and the campaign strategy of emphasising the sheer normality of gay relationships brushed under the carpet another story where, from risk-taking behaviour in an environment of rocketing sexually transmitted disease to depression and self-harm, all is far from well. Most recently, the question as to whether or not a drug called PrEP, an effective but expensive vaccine for HIV should be made widely available, has focused attention on a perhaps unhappier side of life for gay people. After the Referendum, is happily ever after a too simple story? In studio, Jonah Lynch is a columnist with the Sunday Independent, Eve Watson is a psychoanalyst, and Francis Fitzgibbon is a founder of media company Storystock and a former producer of this programme. Welcome back. First, though, I'm going to start with Dr Derek Friedman, an expert in sexually transmitted diseases. I spoke to him earlier and I asked him to tell me about this drug, PrEP.
1: PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. In other words, you're taking medication before you take a risk in case you're exposed to infection. And in this case, we're looking at HIV. So we're using a cocktail of antiretroviral drugs, which have been in use for a long time, have been shown to be effective, have been shown to be pretty safe, And in practice, where PrEP is taken, it substantially reduces the risk of acquiring HIV, but only HIV. Now, it doesn't completely eliminate the risk. It will reduce it by about 80%, but not by 100%.
0: And then I believe you can take it after you've been exposed to a little bit like...
1: That's a different thing. Okay, tell me that's about not that. Not PrEP, that's PEP, P-E-P, post-exposure prophylaxis. And that is where somebody's taken a risk and they suddenly realize, my God, what have I done? That they're at risk to catching HIV. And if they take the antiretroviral medication, uh, if they can get to it within 72 hours, that can be quite effective in significantly reducing their chances of having a HIV infection. The thing there is, they say 72 hours, but the sooner you get to it, the more effective it is. Now, a bit like the morning after pill.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the best analogy for it, that you can yeah. either take it every day but to protect yourself. More, it's
1: a lot more toxic <laughs> and, and a lot more expensive.
0: And that's just what I wanted to get to. So, what does it cost, and what is the availability of it?
1: Well, now in talking about two of these two of these things, uh, PEP is very easy. Post-exposure prophylaxis. Here we know somebody's taken a risk. We can quantify the risk, and we can say is it worthwhile? Uh, a month's supply of the medication, the manufacturer supply cost, I think, is probably in the region of six to eight hundred euros that's dear well not for these type of medications right now PrEP is is another thing PrEP is uh, can be a similar type of medication but here you're taking it uh, saying I'm going to go out and party put myself at risk and this is going to be protect me so you know who is going to pay for that Uh, and that that is that is that is a question that needs to be addressed you know, does society pay for people's partying or should people, you know, pay for themselves? But what's happening in the UK a lot is people are accessing generic forms of these medications over the Internet. Now, that's, I think, permissible in the UK, but not strictly legal here sure lots of people do it.
0: <coughs> and sorry, just to clarify, that figure you mentioned earlier, is that what it would cost on a month-to-month basis for the PrEP, around, what, six to €800? That's right, yes. Right. So are people paying for that now in Ireland? Do they have access I, to it? it?
1: It's really, the, some trials have been carried out, but it's really not freely accessible in, in Ireland. But what is really more disturbing is where we have people who've taken an obvious, who've had an obvious risk And they come in to to see us in uh, in our practices uh, that 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 the post-exposure prophylaxis is not readily available. It's only available through a few clinics in Dublin, around the country, and through accidents and emergency departments. So really, it is not that easy uh, to get hold of.
0: And why is that? Has someone somewhere taken a decision that it should be limited?
1: Well, I think it comes down to economics, and uh, this is, uh, you know, the, uh, the HSE is, as, uh, has obviously taken that decision because it's, it is very difficult in practice to get easy access to something that can be, you know, can prevent a lifelong infection.
0: Now, one, so there are two arguments against making this available. One would be that if you say, give people permission to engage in this risk-taking behavior because they're taking the drug. That means they're also exposed, though, to other diseases like syphilis and gonorrhea.
1: Absolutely. And we have seen the rates of syphilis and gonorrhea in this population absolutely rocket, not only in London, but in Ireland. I mean, I had one a couple of weeks ago. I had three cases of gonorrhea in one morning. We're seeing lots more syphilis. I mean, I used to see one or two cases a year, you could see one or two cases a month. And that's uh,
0: extraordinary, because I think of that as being a, like a medieval gone, yeah. or a World War One oh, disease no, no, or something. No, no, no,
1: it's back, back, back with a vengeance.
0: So from a public health perspective, is it... From a it public
1: health perspective, the most important thing that we're seeing today is the, uh, is the paradigm of test and treat. And this means that people who are taking risks, who are out there very actively socialising... They're now recommending they should be tested every every three months. But, you know, for other people, maybe less often. People go through phases of their life where they become risk takers, other phases where they're in relationships. And then you've got other groups of people who are in relationships, but they're open relationships. So nobody's quite sure what's going on.
0: So what do you think is the responsibility of the government to protect them from some of those risks, like HIV, or are they entitled to say, "No, you should wear a condom, and that would protect you from everything." And if you choose to take these risks, well, then fine, that's on you. It's not our job to protect you from that if you won't protect yourself.
1: Well, that's that's, that's one way of looking at it. But if they do catch an infection, the cost bounce right back to the uh, to the government of the HSE. Because the people uh, uh, have to be looked after if they have caught HIV or syphilis or anything anything like that. So it's not quite as simplistic as that. Uh, secondly, I mean, there's been a complete abdication uh, of providing information, care, uh, persuasion, you know, health education, camp, uh, information campaigns or anything like that. I mean, you know, the last... Last campaigns we had were in the 1980s when people were just terrified of HIV. But since we've had treatment for HIV, uh, people have given it a, a, lower, a lower priority. Would
0: you compare it morally maybe to something like alcoholics on a waiting list for a liver transplant or people who are obese? Maybe waiting for treatment, that somewhere there is a dividing line between the government trying to protect them from their own behaviour, so as because a you should protect the people and b, the costs of not doing it come back on the state, versus a more libertarian approach, which is if if you' are going to engage in the self harming behaviour, you pay the price for that.
1: Well, certainly, certainly there's a lot more self harm. From cigarette smoking, alcohol, and uh, and
0: uh, yeah. poor,
1: poor, poor nutrition, uh, than you're going to get from sex. You know.
0: So you'd uh, see those on the same kind of moral.
1: Um, I don't. I don't thing. go into. I'm. I'm a practical person. I right. try and help people. Help people on the practic- on a practical basis. Uh, moral, morals tend <laughs> to get in the way of uh, of providing uh, of helping people.
0: And that was Dr. Derek Friedman, a specialist in sexually transmitted diseases. And I should say that he also told me there's a whole world of swinging in the heterosexual community and with bisexuals, which means that straight women need to be careful too. So it's not an exclusive issue for men who sex with men or MSM, as it's called, but they are disproportionately impacted. Um, and in studio with me, Donna Lynch, Eve Watson and Frances Fitzgibbon. Frances, what do you think about this drug PrEP? Should it be made widely and freely available by the government and public health grounds? Or does it encourage risk-taking behaviour?
2: Uh, first things first, I've no issue with PrEP whatsoever. Fantastic drug and it seems to be proven to work and that's all fantastic. And I, I, I actually don't have an issue with the availability as well. You know, bring it on, as many people want to take it, uh, should and can take it and th- that's all fine. I think the issue is, and the issue people will have, is who should pay for that. Mm. Um, and so the issue is, uh, and then secondly, the, the I think the consequences of... Of using it. And one of the consequences that I've kind of, of anecdotally seen, and you know, a couple of years ago, some friends of mine went on a holiday to America. We had a great holiday. But, you know, kind of, I hadn't even heard of PrEP at the time. They were, they were coming back telling me stories about all the American guys are on PrEP, they're all taking PrEP. And one of the things was that because they weren't on PrEP, um, these guys were expecting to have sex without condoms. And, you know, that was just shocking for them. It was kind of an introduction to me that was like, everybody wanted to have sex without condoms. And if, if, if you weren't on PrEP, you, you almost felt like you were out of the party. And the extraordinary thing about that is that, that as um, Derek just said, you lead to a culture whereby you ignore diseases like syphilis and you ignore diseases like gonorrhea. Uh, and that's, that's one consequence. And the second consequence is, I mean, who, who pays for this? Um, should a taxpayer be paying for uh, somebody to abdicate their responsibility as some would see it in in some senses. I spend a lot of time on the road doing interviews and uh, last week I was down in Cork and I was interviewing a lady who had stage 4 melanoma who couldn't get a drug from the HSC that she needed to save her life. Um, The week before, two weeks before that, I was interviewing two women who were looking fighting for the drug Respirisa Um, who had serious uh, chronic lung conditions that were shortening their life. And so you get in the queue effectively. And you get in the queue of all those people and we have to make decisions. And, you know, when you're in that kind of scenario, you make practical decisions on what you pay for. And if you say, oh, well, you know, this is saving lives down the line. Well, everyone's going to argue that case.
0: What about alcoholics and cigarette smokers? Are they not in the same paradigm there?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, and they are. I mean... um, and and again, there is an argument that says that it's it's easier to to pay the price which of prep, which is five thousand a year, than it is to to deal with the consequences afterwards. Um, you know, wouldn't it be a lot lot easier if we uh, encourage people to wear condoms? And and as the doctor said, um, had campaigns where we talked about safe sex, um, which I don't think we have anymore. I remember when I was much much younger, they seemed to I seemed to have a huge awareness of 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 sexually transmitted diseases. Now it seems to be something that's that's almost anecdotal. You know, there isn't the same level of support put in it. There isn't the same level of of treatment. And if that money was invested in uh, things like free testing, um, things like awareness, because I think one of the problems with um, one of the, the, the successes of, of treating HIV is that we have effectively made it a chronic illness as opposed yeah. to a death sentence. And that in itself has brought its own problems because now there isn't the fear that there once might have been um, towards it. And that's, you know, an issue that people and this, you know, people are going to take risks because there's alcohol involved. Sometimes uh, there's, you know, urges involved and all that kind of stuff. So people are going to take risks and it's about minimising those risks.
0: Um, Donna Lynch, you know, when I was thinking about talking about this, part of me was a bit fearful in case we ended up feeding into some negative stereotype of promiscuous gay men but you were writing um, just a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday Independent on the same weekend as Gay Pride that the mainstreaming of gay rights has not really helped gay health. We've swung so far from the early 1990s hysteria of the AIDS panic that we now refuse to even acknowledge that there are concerns about addiction and promiscuity that aren't rooted in religious moralism. What are your concerns about it?
3: Well, I sort of think the way people look at this whole issue is in terms of the final consequences. So if somebody gets an infection, um, that's something serious. If it costs a lot of money, well, we can talk about the cost of what it costs. That's the only way people can sort of conceive of this. When really we should be looking at why is there a cohort of young men who have so many partners that they sort of can't even keep track of it all they just need to medicate themselves through the whole thing. That to me is a little bit more of a kind of a soul destroying and difficult thing for the person probably than well, I mean, the consequence the consequences are serious as well. I wouldn't minimize those either, but I think it's wrong to just look at the consequences in terms of a physical infection or the the zeros at the end of the problem rather so, than
0: So do you think it's more about mental health than physical health?
3: Yeah, I think you've got a kind of uh, an adult population now that kind of came of age during the invention of the Internet. I mean, you talked about guys guys in the States. You know, it's a common thing now on something like Grindr to that. People just have on prep, you know, and the, you've got the screen of people and they're all on prep, on prep, on prep. Um, and I just think they, they they kind of grew up. They were given this tool. They could, they could communicate with as many people as they want. It's, it's sort of fed into this shame that already existed around sex, it enhanced the secrecy of it while making it easier to hook up. And then into all of that, you've kind of got the evolution of these drugs that sort of are like the metaphorical belt and braces. So you can you actually have the freedom, freedom then to go and do it. So You're kind of all set in a way, except it's not a way to live. And that's that's what I would say about it.
0: Um. Um, some people have said this actually isn't anything to do with being gay. This is just how men like to behave when women are taken out of the equation because women are the civilizing influence. Now, Dr. Friedman might dispute that too. He sees plenty of women as well. What do you think about that argument? Well,
3: I think I think that there's there's an element of truth to that. But I think, like, for instance, when that should be factored into what parents tell their kids, that should be factored into the way we deal with young gay men. We should just let them know you know, you're, this is what you're going to deal with kind of when you, when you go out there. Um, there, there. There is definitely an element of truth to it, but it's, I think we're so, we're so fixated on do we accept sexuality or are we cool with it just that people are gay that we don't tell them what they're going to encounter. We don't get to the next step.
0: Well, Eve Watson, what can you tell us about um, young gay men now or even older ones too, obviously, and what's going on with them in terms of their mental health?
4: Well, I think it's 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 a constellation. it's It's a whole variety of things. Uh, and I, you know, I work as a mental health practitioner, and people come along and they want to talk about everything, from issues of intimacy to relationship breakups, to outsidership and loneliness, being unable to meet people, to the emphasis on, on looks and superficiality and sex, so it's a whole spectrum in that sense. Um, so um, I, I mean, certainly listening to um, uh, uh, to both Donald and Francis so far, uh, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's it's it, it, it is important to recognise this as a problem that is very seriously confronting gay men at the moment. It's come back again. Why? I think that's a very important question to ask and to answer, um, uh, but it is much bigger than that, and it's a mistake to confine it just to the field of of gay men, because rates of of, of HIV infection were increasing in in the heterosexual community at greater numbers. Than, than the gay community for a number of years. Um, but, but do so, you
0: think there's anything qualitatively different around intimacy intimacy issues in the heterosexual community and in the homosexual community? Well,
4: uh, I would say from the perspective of, uh, you, you, people who are gay occupy a minority position in our society because we live in a heteronormative, principally heterosexual world. That's unlikely to change. Um, And for any person who's a member of a minority group, there are always going to be extra challenges. And I think one of the challenges... Um, that that I see, and and it, uh, it is in part, I suppose, an interpretation. There can be an identification with being very much on the edge, with being on the margin, and I think this can lead to an increase, maybe, in risk taking behaviour, in doing things that uh, that uh, that you know, well, if you're going to put me in this position of being on the edge, well, I I will be here then, and I will I will take uh, risks that I that somebody else might not well, otherwise but do. But
3: lesbians don't do that.
4: Um, no, they. I mean, yeah. they, they tend and not the, to.
3: They are equally on their margins. Is what I mean. I mean, I think that there's a lot of what you said. I think said there are different
4: the, problems. I think there's a high rates of alcoholism in the yeah. lesbian community. There's high rates of of self harm and suicidality in the lesbian community. So I think it takes different forms.
3: Mm. Yeah, but are men. you
0: saying there's So maybe it's about being men that there's something different going on with gay men, don't it?
3: Well, you know, there, there's 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 men have a particular w- different way of behaving than women do. And I think that that does sort of have to kind of be acknowledged, whether they're gay or straight. It's 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 nothing to do with sexuality. Men, Men, exactly.
2: (laughs) You know, let's call a spade a spade here. I think men men are hornier creatures. And when there's an opportunity for sex, I think men are going to take it far more than than women. And Donald hit the nail on the head there a while ago when he talked about technology. Technology is changing everything in our lives. So now you can have sex uh, with somebody who's 100 metres away. You have an app called Grindr. It'll tell you that somebody 100 metres from you who will have sex with you now, Thanks very much, bang, you're gone home in 20 minutes or, you know, um, whatever it takes. Uh, and that that's revolutionised things. So that puts things at your, your fingertips. And I think that's changed everything in terms of gay relationships. I see now so many of my friends, people I know who are in open relationships and it's almost come to the point um, where being in a monogamous relationship uh, like I am is, is, is really unusual. It's, it's become unusual and I'm looking around and people are like, oh, that's unusual. I, I, how, how do you keep that going? How does that work? And I'm saying it works in the same way it works for everybody else. And, yeah. you know, and it's just it baffles me because I think technology has put sex uh, so readily available in a way that it might not have been before. And when you put a lot of men in the equation there, I think that there, therein lies your answer.
0: Um, Eve, what about that point Francis was making that... Um you know, the these unhealthy behaviours um, are really to do more with being men rather than being with, rather than to do with being gay. Um, and is there any um, argument that maybe it is a phase? Maybe they go through and they come out of it, and then everything is okay afterwards.
4: Well, the 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 idea that that men are more interested in sex than women is it's it's a it's a long held, long established uh, view, and uh, is borne out, I think, uh, you know, in, in in many ways, including by the discussions today. Um, I suppose um, the, 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 it comes with a terrible price. Uh, uh, now, it has. It, I'm I'm reading Edmund White's uh, our. Uh, Our Young Man, his most recent book, which is very interestingly, he's published it only now, and it is about a gay man uh, living in New York in the 80s, where the AIDS crisis is um uh, you know, rampant and uh and this gay cancer is spreading with all uh, you know with 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 terribleness all around him and i think it's very important that edmund white has published this uh, this now um it's no accident that that he's done this i suppose uh to go back to your question um um uh, you know, why sex is so is 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 so important to men is is perhaps the question and does it have to be um uh, I suppose that is that is you know uh, uh, how how might we uh, how might we, we we answer that because as 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 uh, as Francis was or as Donald was saying um, you know, lesbians for example uh, don't partake in sex and have an interest in it to the same extent as as gay men do you will rarely find. Lesbian sex parties. In fact, I think there was an attempt to run some of them in the early nineties. I heard about this in San Francisco. I think they lasted about a month or something, and people just stopped going. <laughs> it just uh,
0: so so, which there's isn't necessarily a great thing either. You know, <clears throat> maybe women should be getting out there a little more. But anyway, that's a different argument. I, I, you know, I think
4: we we might be able to talk about things like: is it easier for men to uh, to uh, uh, be exhibitionistic and voyeuristic because, you know, a lot of the sex involves sex in public places and these kinds of things. Don't I,
3: I was going to say something. Just You played the clip with Derek Friedman there. Yeah. I heard him talking a few years ago on The Late Late Show and he was talking about issues of promiscuity and intimacy and in sex. And he said, he, I know he said carefully there that he doesn't talk about moralism. This wasn't really a moral point, mm. but he said that he would advise people to have good sex. Because he said, good sex is satisfying sex and you don't need, you're not on your phone continually searching for it because you've been satisfied by it. Yeah. Um. And I think that there's a kind of a young generation now, you know, when they when they study this in Japan and the States and Australia, they find young men are actually virgins for longer. I think the whole thing is actually it, it's presented as if it's about about promiscuity. And it is. But it, it's really about intimacy because. That's what keeps people on a treadmill. Of that kind of thing is 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 a is a lack of intimacy and a lack of good sex.
0: So if if we accept then the premise that um, intimacy is better and this kind of anonymous sex is risky both for physical health and not particularly satisfying psychologically, um, what do we need to be doing as a society that uh, people who are growing up gay now will? Naturally, be inclined towards the intimate side of it rather than the well, grinder we, we, we side. We need
3: it. to look at just look at teenage boys. I think we need to kind of like look at at the way they use the internet, at the way we de- we let them deal with real human beings. And and just look at the way sort of youth grows up a little bit more.
0: Um but Francis, is there a problem and you've touched on it earlier as well, that you know, we can say, yes, homosexuality of course is normal. Mm. You know, we've we've grown up, we passed the referendum well. Like it didn't just scrape by, it went by well. And yet, because um, you know, you are a minority, you will always be other. So there it will always be hard and you will always be pushed to the fringes, at least during that coming out period until maybe you get a chance to mature in that. So yeah, and perhaps I, like, it's inevitable that it's just going to be we, more we difficult. Are, we
2: are, at best estimate, 10% of the population. So, I mean, you have to think of it from that perspective as well. Do we necessarily want to, like, we, we don't want to take over, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people are going out there with this narrative that actually, you know what, why should I have to come out as straight or why should I have to come out as gay in the first place? Well, you know, I don't really buy that because we are 10% of the population, so we are a minority and I'm fine with that in one sense. But, I, you know, going back to your point, I don't think that a whole pile has changed um, since the referendum. And I think that, that you know, culture eats strategy for, for, for breakfast and it's still, I would never hold my partner's hand walking down the street of Tralee. And you have to look at this and, and actually it was it was funny. we were walking back and I live I've moved last July, having lived in big cities all my life to a tiny village in West Kerry. and um, we, we walked back uh, last Saturday night past fields of cows and horses. and um, we were holding hands and then we came on the village and we, we, it was almost like this unconscious unconscious yeah. thing. We, we split our hands and then I said, I Why did we do that?" And you know he would—he's American, so he would come. He would have come from a, a quite a religious family, and there'd be a lot of issues. In, in, no, no more so than I would have had. And we stopped for a second. and We were trying to analyze what had just happened, and it's telling in a way, in a sense of what you know how how far we've come. Yes, but in another way, because we were in the pub as a couple, and everybody knows we're a couple. Um, but but at the same time, how far we we have to go in that kind of Do sense. you
0: think you'll ever reach the point where you can just automatically walk into the village holding hands?
2: Well, well, here's the point. Um, I think had we continued in and if there was all the old people in the village... Uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't think a lot of them would. They might have looked and because and, it's a strange thing. And I don't mind when people look when something's strange. Because if you if you kind of almost impose upon people, there's two guys holding hands. Don't look. They want to look because it's something new for them. Let them look. That's curiosity as opposed to homophobia just because they're looking. And they might tell their friend, look, two guys holding hands. That's, that's just a natural curiosity because it's something they haven't seen before. Whereas I think the real question is, it's with inside us. The real question is not the issue with the outside world; it's the issue from what I've come through to get to the point where I am today. What he's come through to get to the point where he is today, you know, going uh, through sixteen, seventeen, my teenage years, uh, repressing all this and thinking, pushing it away, thinking, "I'm not gay. Who me? I play football. I'm from Kerry, you know." And it was that that just does not go away with one voter over Donald,
4: yeah,
3: I yeah. I was going to say that. I I think that the referendum was simple in a way it was getting society to say do you approve that's a fairly easy thing to do i don't think society should be giving itself too big a pat on the back for going where we don't care about other people you know it nearly i think it was passed in that sense not indifference but but it's it's easy to let people do what they want in a way yeah a
0: kind of detachment a maybe. detachment exactly yeah.
3: it's more difficult i think and it'll be a much longer journey and a longer process to get people to kind of own up to and accept their own homophobia, it takes. I mean,
0: I really had that strong feeling, I have to say, too, that fine, passing the referendum was grand. But if you were a 14 or 15 year old boy in a small village down the country, was it really going to make life easier? Listen
3: in to playgrounds. Listen in to what the slur words are that are thrown out. Those have not changed. That's the same as it always was. Yeah,
0: Eve, I remember my children coming home from school so young, I mean, six or seven, and starting to ask me what was gay and because they'd heard it used as an insult in the playground. Mm -hmm. And they weren't getting that from teachers, you know, their parents. It was just this thing that kind of seeped up, you know, he's gay, you know, and that's bad. How long do you think it'll take for that to... Uh, go away or will it ever go away?
4: Well, this I'm nodding vigorously because this is going right to the heart of something I feel very strongly about, which is um, the homophobia <coughs> starts very, very young mm-hmm. and studies have shown it starts in school playgrounds at primary school level, a very important study out of DCU in 2005 showing this, all, the vast majority of epithets used on school playgrounds are gay and queer epithets. Mm-hmm. And I, it's interesting because I've heard adults say, oh, but the kids don't know what they mean. They're just saying them because they're hearing them from others. But the problem is that the adults don't step in to, uh, to, to indicate how serious and how damaging this is because it sets up an othering that begins very, very early. Children aren't born homophobic. Mm-hmm. We, we teach them to become homophobic. So, uh, so education and the intervention of adults from across schools and communities is absolutely essential and enormously lacking. Sex ed in schools is still abysmal. Uh, I, th- I don't think it's exaggerating to say that uh, as did, a general Did you
0: reason. see or did you have any concerns when the referendum was passed that it might look too simplistic? That people might say right, that's done. That's not a problem anymore.
4: Well, I, 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 didn't for a minute think that mm-hmm. it was going to be, you know, you know, a, 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 a see the kind of sea change I think mm-hmm. that is required. And I, what I, I was, uh, horrified to read in, uh, in the media last year, the Times uh, published a study, a very important study uh, conducted by the HSE in conjunction with Trinity and belonged to of more than 2,000 LGBT uh, youth and discovered enormous rates of uh, of suicidality and self-harm. Two out of three of those surveyed indicated that they had suicidal thoughts. This is in the age gap of between 16 and 24. And, and And this is post the referendum.
0: Yeah, and just to get back to the idea of homophobia and otherness... Yeah. To how much do you think is about being other? Because I suppose my concern would be if it's about being other, and if it's about being in the ten percent, there's only so far you can cure that problem, if you know what I mean. If being different is the issue, as opposed to being gay is the issue, gay people are always going to be different. Do you know what I mean?
4: Well, there's a world of difference between tolerance and the acceptance of difference, and we're sort of, you know, we're we we what do we've, you mean by that? We've well, we've we, we've, we ha- we've got the legislation. Um, And we can say it is it is not a problem for you to exceed as a gay person, as a gay or lesbian person, the same rights as the the rest of the population. Um, But the acceptance of difference is another step altogether. It indicates that it's okay for you to be different. It's not simply that we'll put up with you. Uh, uh and uh, and uh, 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 with a sense of well you you do your best to conform really and fit in so we have steps to make as a community but I, there is a, you raise a very interesting problematic that psychoanalysis for example would would uh, would uh, support which is that there's a tendency within communities uh, to um uh, for for there to be a, a, a and and other to be produced in some way it kind of maintains a community yeah and Freud identified 100 years ago in fact that that was homosexuality he said very precisely that's what it was now times are changing um, and I think uh, uh, we can see how that uh, is no longer quite so Uh, um, uh, and the question is Who will now come to take up that place of other? And what can we do as a community to mitigate um, the, the, the effects of that, which can be very, very serious?
0: Francis, you were talking about, um, you know, being in the small village. And um, I know I come from a small village, too. And we literally had a gay in the village. Yeah. And then another boy came out and somebody rocked. Ah, the other fellas and the only gay in the village now well, we're, anymore.
2: Well, we're probably the gayest village in Ireland because we have at least uh, three different couples oh, that's, living it's in rampant. the you're taking the village. Over. I know, it's incredible. So but, does,
0: know, does that mean that in a small town, really the only answer is you go to the cities? And that's what uh, gay people
2: do. If that's yeah. what you want to do, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think it's going back to a point of when you're talking about um, suicide and self-harm and all the rest of it, it's teaching people to accept that they're different because, yes, they'll always be different. And it's about going on a journey to realise, yes, I'm different, but I accept that.
0: So it's not just about society saying it's OK for you to be different. It's about you saying it's OK for me to be different. Yes, when
3: and When I was in my early 20s, somebody somebody tried to explain it in terms of X-Men. I was really into the the movies and the comics and all that. And he said, like, the X-Men are, they have magical powers. They're special. That kind of isolates them a little bit. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they're a little bit special. I think rather than parents going into playgrounds and explaining, we need to respect everyone, which will never work because that's not how kids deal with parents. It'll probably be more cultural avatars. That seep through to kids and explain to them, you know, this is kind of okay. I mean, pop stars, sports stars. I think those have a far greater reach than a referendum, even in a way. I mean, maybe maybe they all go together, but I think I think that's what will change the world eventually. It won't be it won't be parents wagging their and, fingers and on role, mo- role models. Yeah, it's yeah,
2: role models. Like, and it's so important that even. Um, I don't think it'll make a damn bit of difference to the LGBT community Leo Varadkar being Taoiseach but now we have somebody from the top office in the land who is gay you have Donald O'Cusack from sports who's gay so it's really really important that people in those kind of spheres of life become visible and become the role model a lot of it too is about masculinity and it's in the same way that, that guys have this what team do you support In the, it always baffles me in the English premiership you almost have to have a team and I always, always like Leeds <laughs> And let's say, um, "Who? Uh, who oh, what do you think of the transfer window?" And I'd be like, oh, uh, bollocks, I'm caught now. <laughs> you know? Because it's almost like you felt you had to have this because it's like this thing of masculinity. And it's not even... In Kerry growing up, you had to play football, which I did. And it wasn't even the gay people it was the guys who were really into arts and crafts and stuff they were another as well you know Yeah. and they had to come to terms with their difference in the same way because they didn't get into sports and they would probably get the same amount of bullying and the same challenges and journeys that we have so I think it's more a key point about being different And
0: Donal on identity um, you know I'm always curious as well about how some gay people just they don't want gay to be their identity so Leo Varadkar would be an example he doesn't want to be defined by his homosexuality See okay
3: Yeah (laughs) When I hear that, I hear a shade of I don't I don't want to homophobia is such a strong kind of all encompassing word, but it certainly registers a note of discomfort with with oneself. I mean, years ago, when people weren't out at all and were uncomfortable, even with the idea of someone else being out, they would say, oh, he's not discreet or I'm discreet. That was the language used i'm I, it doesn't define me is uh, uh, to me is sort of getting there as well it's like a variant of that that's another thing that pe- that people used to say i mean in my mind everyone's sexuality goes a long way towards defining them when you see a woman standing on her wedding day marrying a man her sexuality in a way is the engine that has kind of driven her there it's it's a very big sort of aspect of everyone's life.
0: Eve, what do you think about that thing about identity? Um, I was always intrigued. Gore Vidal said, you know, you shouldn't be a homosexual. You should be a homosexualist because it's just what you did, not who you were. Where do you, what's the psychoanalytic approach to that?
4: (laughs) Well, well, can I just say, I don't subscribe really to the idea that uh, gays and lesbians are different. I don't. From from the perspective of being human beings um, with a range of challenges and joys and happinesses and difficulties in life they're no different to anybody else so i think we have to work to break down that kind of stereotyping on that level that gays and lesbians are different now the challenges of homophobia that is that is and that is very much a a community group driven thing and that has to be tackled at that level and
0: what do you think about that uh, say the politician or the sports star saying I don't want to be defined by my sexuality I just want to be a TD and not the gay TD
4: well yeah. I totally agree with Donald that the more uh, and and Francis as well yeah. the more the more people we have publicly acknowledging their Uh, their sexuality as not a thing, Um, because when you say, I don't want to be defined by my sexuality, you are in fact making it a thing and more of a thing than it would otherwise be. Um, We need that. We need that, uh, particularly to go back to the young people, our adults of the future, who are clearly challenged by significant levels of homophobia still. So, don't I was going
3: to say someone like Leo is still adjusting to psychologically i think too it was a disadvantage now it's a disadvantage yeah. we all saw him on the cover of the papers the day after pride he's there waving the flag he 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 sort of knows now it's 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 a good thing and it's something that people that, that has that will maybe burnish his legacy even he was the first he was the first of a community but he wasn't out until he, relatively recently mm. And it's probably still in that transition phase between it doesn't define me and, oh, well, maybe it's going to actually help do you, me.
0: Do you think he has some obligation to do something for gay people as a gay Taoiseach? Say in the way that people might have expected Obama to do something for, yeah. for black people in America.
3: Obama is a good example because there's a lot of um, black people in America who say that Obama didn't really do enough and was just a symbolic figurehead. And that afterwards you still have the opioid epidemic. You still have the crime epidemic of black youth. He didn't really, you still have all the gun violence. He didn't really do a whole lot. Um, Leo, I think, is a little bit different in that we don't have those kind of problems affecting the gay community here. And a lot of it, as I say, is symbolism. So maybe he has less of a, of a big job to do. But uh, certainly when he when he talks about things like it doesn't define me. I think part of his job is kind of not really using language like that, actually, to be honest. Mm.
0: Francis, now you're a political um, man too. (laughs) Um, What do you think about the politics of Leo's homosexuality? Well,
3: uh,
2: First and foremost, every leader should have an obligation to help the LGBT community. But in Leo's perspective, he should have a greater understanding of how he can help. And that's the difference, say, for other Taoiseach who might not have... Um, An understanding of the intricacies of what needs to be done. And I think by understanding a community and a problem, uh, when there is a problem, that's how you solve the problem Mm. much, much better. Um, One of the issues I don't like is the fact that all of the coverage tends to be around the fact that Leo is a gay man as opposed to his performance of Taoiseach. And it's just getting a little bit wary now. It's getting a little bit... It's actually getting a little bit boring.
0: Do you think... He was right to show up at the gay Pride and do all those photos yeah. and that. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. absolutely why, So maybe it'll wear
0: off. so maybe the thrill will wear off but,
2: him Maybe it will, maybe it will and I suppose it's it's more of a novelty for now, but you know, why shouldn't he show up to, to, to gay pride? And there, there are people who will say, oh that won't go down very well in, in you know yeah. parts of the Gael Highlands. so what you know it's, it's to be it's, honest,
0: it's, I was more shocked to realize he was half Indian. The race <laughs> issue had never clicked with me at all. Mm. It's mm. just his his professionalism and his class. Seems to trump the race far more than actually the homosexuality. That's Absolutely. what surprised me. So, Eve, where do you see the future then? You know, if, if there are these issues of otherness and the journey that every gay person has to make themselves to accept themselves and that they're not part of this heteronormative um, world, how, how as a society do we help them along that path?
4: Oh, that's a that's a, a very very big question. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry to repeat myself, but we have to educate the young people. And we what do we say to, to we them? We have to go to schools, yeah. and we have to say that um, that sexuality is a spectrum, mm. that there's it, it can be expressed in myriad ways. That um, and I think also go further and convey the message that to be defined by your sexuality is so arbitrary. Why should we be defined by our sexuality? Now, the truth is is that we are. That Mm. is, we can't escape that. Mm. But it is, in fact, an arbitrary convention that our, our culture, our society... Partakes in, and that we, as members of our society, partake in. So, what ways can we, you know, can we, can we say to somebody, particularly young people, you are, you aren't just your sexuality. Your sexuality is one component of you.
0: You know, last week we were talking about women and their sexuality, and is it a case that we just live in a society in which sex is a huge issue? Yes. So therefore, it's impossible to escape whether you're mm. performing as a man in a masculine society as a woman where certain, you know, um, behaviors are expected of us or of gay people where sex, se- certain behaviors are expected of them. Once sex is everywhere, yeah. you can't get away well, it. Well, it is.
4: We, uh, society is so sexualized now. And I suppose one of the most important messages that we ought to continue to get across is not to confuse sex and intimacy and love that they don't they don't don't necessarily all go together ideally they do but but sex does not equal love
3: don't i'll give you the last but, but, word i was gonna yeah. say you're yeah. right about one thing which is that the uncomfortableness around sex and judgment around sex isn't confined to gay people and definitely isn't confined to gay men it infects the repeal debate lots of other debates in society yeah. where it's about judging a group and ask, you know, not having empathy for a group when maybe it's behave, behaving in a self-destructive way.
0: Um, the psychotherapist um, Trish Murphy um, has said that she thinks when adults figure out how to negotiate sex in an equal and transparent way that we will change the world.
3: You're
0: here. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave that to be the last word then. Eve Watson, Dona Lynch and Francis Fitzgibbon, many thanks for joining me this morning. And thanks to the team Stephen Jordan produced, Aidan McKelvey researched. Thank you for listening.